Greetings, rulers. For tonight's night rule, I was uh, very pleased to be joined by Jonathan Bick. Uh, people in the David Feldman Show universe will know him as Professor John from Mass. He's been a professor of uh, political science, and he's showed a lot of interest. He's, he's done a lot of commentary on uh, financial matters and investing and stuff, so I wanted to have him on for a while to um, discuss uh, some of the finer economic points. Today's intro song is from Yoshida Minako. The name of this track is Lighten It Up, and the outro will be from Toriyama Yuji. This is called Heavy Duty Man from his uh, debut album, Take a Break. Also wanted to encourage you guys to go visit us at patreon.com slash nightrule. You'll find a lot of fun uh, music and our, uh, our bonus episodes up there, and uh, there's going to be a lot more content coming to that uh, space soon, so, uh, so certainly stay tuned. But, you know, if you're not quite ready to become a patron, please do leave us a, a written review on Apple or uh, subscribe to our sister show, Handkerchief Dynasty, on YouTube. Those are some really great ways you can support the show. But yeah, spiel over. Anyways, without any further ado, this is Night Rule. social media and then you decided to quit or had you like never really had you been because I mean I think I was a little uh like you know I think a lot of people when you start doing it you're like a little skeptical at first you know you yeah see it for what it is right away or did like what's the deal like what you don't do any social media no I mean I did uh, do Facebook for a while um but I just found it uh I don't know kind of tedious and I didn't like the idea of sharing all of my uh, you know private information about my life online and and with mr zuckerberg and and his corporation and zoom to be honest like zoom every single time i schedule a meeting it's just that they ask me oh can i just have access to uh, all your calendar and contacts and every event you've ever created in your life it's just like uh no really <laughs> why, they ask why do you need that well, they want, I mean, they want to integrate with whatever scheduling tool you're using or whatever. So I oftentimes just, I'm not thinking and I click on uh, Google. And so they ask for permission to like read my whole calendar. Wow. Okay. I mean, whatever. It's the, the data mining, the data collection is like one of the key, if not the key um, USP or uh, like unique value. Like that's, that's, that's what they're really after. Oh yeah. A lot of these companies, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're not uh, setting up all this because they they want you to be able to communicate with your grandmother. It's not out of the goodness <laughs> of their heart. No, 
Certainly, they make it look that way in the advertisements. Um, but let's get started here. So uh, welcome, everyone, to Night Rule. This is kind of a special uh, brunch presentation um, presented today with a, a wide array of jams and marmalades and jellies and chutneys mm. with uh, various uh, pieces of toast. And I think I see some scones over there. Um, you know, we're just relaxing. We're, uh, you know, uh, Trump is out of office, so we're having brunch and we're talking about our investment portfolios and uh, what to expect from our AMC stock and... Uh, just having a great time. It's just nice to finally relax a little bit, you know. Um, <laughs> of course, I'm joking, but I'm uh, I'm joined by uh, Professor John Jonathan Bick from Massachusetts. Just remind me the institution you teach at, uh, well, Sir Jonathan. I, yeah, so I used to teach at uh, Western Connecticut State University uh, in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, in the political science department, and I. Um, I did it for about 10 years and enjoyed it very much, but uh, wasn't making a lot of money. And I had two children, needed to put them uh, into college. So I uh, went into uh, market research. Mm. I specialize in the healthcare uh, sector. Mm. And uh, that's what I've been doing uh, for the past sort of 10 years or so. Oh, I see. Okay, interesting. Um, so you actually have a, a quite a, like, I mean, a, a contrary to a lot of people with, um, with kind of academic experience in political science and in teaching, you, uh, have quite a bit of private sector experience, they would say. Yes. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. But I might perhaps offer you a little bit of a more in-depth perspective on, um, things like, you know, politics and the economy. Yeah. Well, it certainly gives you an inside view of how corporations work and what it's like to, uh, to work there and to get an idea of how they think and how they treat people and their customers, um, which I'm sure uh, you're familiar with to some degree, then you probably know it's, it's not optimal <laughs> many times. Many times. I mean, um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, like uh, working in software, um, I actually think sometimes it can be like the, the small companies that aren't even, aren't even corporations per se yet, where things can be even like worse in a weird way. Like it's, it, I mean, I'm sure like working at Walmart and being grounded to a fine uh, human flavored paste for, uh, you know, for the purposes of Walmart and the Waltons is one thing, but you know, you could work at a, a drug, a mom and pop drugstore and your boss could still treat you like total shit. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's a word for that. Um, uh, small business tyrant, right? Totally. So I, we, at least with larger uh, businesses, you know, they have some sort of established bureaucracy and um, best practices and ways of doing things. Uh, so it's sort of structured with a, with, with a small business, you know, where one guy owns the business and he's the boss or she's the boss. Um, it can be very tyrannical, you know, that's just uh, emperor of Rome type of attitude. Ooh, yeah. you, you know, are you amusing pretty, today? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure about 40% of all human conversations I've had have been people telling me about the, their bosses being horrible to them. Whether it's the entrepreneur, or the middle manager, you know, or if you're in any kind of relationship, you know, what do you talk about? 80% you talk about food, what you're planning to eat later together. And then the other 20% is just bitching about... <laughs> work ultimately right um so i wanted to ask you i mean i know so you you you, you uh, i've heard you talk pretty eloquently about uh, investing and, and uh, financial stuff and 
uh, obviously, you know, you know a lot about political science, political economy. I wanted to, I, I shared an anecdote with you briefly in a previous conversation that I think might be a good kicking off point. So, because, it, and, and it could really be, your answer could potentially be useful to me, which is something I like to, to, to try and do on the night rule is ask questions that will be useful just to me personally. Um, sure. So I was at a bar uh, several years ago and um, I was, I started a conversation with a woman um, who told me that she was, uh, that she had become a stockbroker in the last few years. Now, in my efforts to impress her, I said something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, that's got to be so hard these days. What with, you know, the fundamentals being like, so like off and like, wow, you know, they're not there in the way they used to be. And she kind of like turned her head at me and, and like had this like sideways look on her face. And she was like, later on, she said to me, she's like, she thought, how does this guy know about the fucking fundamentals? Like, he knows, he knows about that. Like, wow, like it really impressed her. Now, the problem here is had this conversation lasted longer than the 15 minutes it did, I would have had to probably say something else about the matter uh, to actually prove that I really did know something, but I'd really used up my ammunition. There wasn't really much left. So in case, like, let's say for, for <laughs> if I ever find myself in a conversation like that again, and I want to actually know what the quote unquote economic fundamentals are, like, what, what are they in a, in a hot minute? Like, let's, let's go, give me a crash course here because you might, you might help me um, impress a lady. Okay, well, and when when did this conversation take place? Uh, would have been like a five years ago. Oh, five years ago. Okay. Well, it, it's even more true now because um, of the extraordinary amount of um, intervention, you might say, that the uh, the government has and the Federal Reserve has taken uh, to intervene with the economy, and uh, also directly into the uh, the stock market and the bond market. So they've been buying extraordinary amounts of uh, bonds uh, directly and uh, doing what's been called a quantitative easing where they're basically flooding uh, the economy with, um, with money that goes to uh, banks and shadow banks and other investment uh, institutions like buying off the toxic loans and collateralized debt obligations and all that. I did watch the big short. That's a big, that's a big chunk of what I know too. Um, yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah. And then on top of all that quantitative easing, they're also at this point now, uh, just, aren't they just injecting money in every day as soon as the stock market opens or something like that? There's like something well, that happens in the first five hundredths of a second or something. Isn't there? Uh, no, I don't think they're buying stocks. Um, I, I believe they're buying uh, bond ETFs. Um, I, they, if they are, they haven't said they are. Um, that would be a major step if they did that. Um, I, I, it's not stocks per se. I should find. I should actually have found what I what I remember reading about. It was more like, I mean, because ultimately there's a, there's a lot of things like there's certain uh, like bank stocks, for example, that are probably overvalued because they have this implicit government backing. It's something It's something more similar to that almost like, damn, all right, I'll edit this out to make myself sound more coherent. Um, okay, so yeah. so the fundamentals are even more off like like than they were say like five years ago because of, because of what? Just because of this government intervention basically? Well, yeah, and they've lowered um, interest rates to record lows. 
right? So it makes it very easy for uh, banks and businesses to borrow large amounts of money, uh, which then can be used in the case of banks to, to lend it out, or in the case of businesses to keep them afloat, even though their business model might not be particularly profitable. Yeah. So it's to like a possible bubble, like a credit bubble, would you call it or what? Is it? It's just, uh, it's just... That could, yeah, that can happen. And also you can get these, what are called like zombie companies. So mm -hmm. they're not really, uh, you know, without the support of the government and these very cheap interest rates and the ability for businesses to borrow at um, basically next to zero interest rates, uh, they would not be in business. Yeah. This allows them to continue and they're hoping that their business model will improve or that economic conditions in their sector will improve and they'll be able to uh, become profitable again. Well, I mean, everyone knows from every zombie movie, though, like you can't turn a zombie back into a human. It's just that's not a thing. So, right. yeah, um, but that sounds well, kind of think... inefficient to me. I mean, like that's certainly not very like competitive spirited, you know, keeping keeping companies alive. But I mean, I guess to a certain extent right now, given that the economic downturn associated with the pandemic and stuff like the we have to keep stuff alive. I mean, in a certain sense, like there has to be some kind of Keynesian um well, that's why they're doing it. Yeah, they don't yeah. want, you know, to have all these businesses go out of business at once and people to lose their jobs, lose, um, you know, their investments, uh, suppliers who, who front them uh, credit, you know, they would be stuck with um, losing uh, whatever the amount of money they credited to, to these other businesses. So it has a, uh, a knock on effect that could be very detrimental to the economy and could trigger a significant recession or even a depression. So, I mean, uh, besides a company, you know, being able to borrow really cheaply um, and getting help from the government to stay afloat. Um, I mean, that's obviously not a really strong fundamental, so to speak. I imagine a strong fundamental would be something more like a company that is producing something or has some kind of business model where they're just they're making money independently and they, they're not relying on government help and they're not just borrowing money hoping to make money in the future yeah i mean in a healthy economy right you have consumers that are making uh enough money th through their jobs or through their own businesses to be able to purchase their daily needs you know they're to be able to you know become educated have health care just live their daily lives, buy houses, cars, et cetera, uh, without going into enormous amounts of debt. And unfortunately, that is not the model that we have uh, adopted uh, in this country really since the 1980s. You've had consumer debt growing, um, government debt growing, and corporate debt growing uh, in tandem. And that is creating you know a very fragile economy you get this buildup of debt so you have to take more and more debt on in order to stay afloat and a lot of people are experiencing that you know just like everyday people having to borrow on credit cards um, take out longer loans on automobiles on their houses if they're lucky enough to own a house um, 
so it's putting more and more stress on people and it's not conducive to a self-sustaining economy you know you that's why you have these run-ups these bubbles and then you have these um major crises or drop-offs where we seem to get them every 10 eight to ten years now and uh, it's very disruptive to the economy but it's even more disruptive to people's lives and obviously it's probably also fuels to a large extent uh, wealth inequality as well right because each one of these every time this happens i mean you know who's 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 loaning the money you know mm -hmm. you know so that, that that kind of process is is going to have an extractive nature uh as well which i think is is a big part of it too like absolutely um, yeah, it's interesting because like, I, I, I wonder what, like, let, let's say there's like a kid growing up in, in Canada or the US right now, and they are like 10 or 12. And in a few years, they're going to go to college and study economics and, and finance and, and all this stuff. Um, it's going to be super convoluted and super uh, like, it's going to be very complex to learn because it's not going to be about, okay, well, like, here's the fundamental of like a successful business um etc you know which is enough which is complicated enough but you add on top of that the fact that we're living in this in this weird world where uh the government is kind of picking winners and losers um and also like you know consumer demand might be really really down but it might also be sky high in some ways in, in, in other places too um i don't know i think i think sure. other countries with uh, obviously are probably gonna really like in the long haul in 10 in the next 10 20 years that they're going to bounce back a lot better than the states, don't you think, economically? Uh, it depends. I mean, uh, you know, places like Europe, they're they're in a bit of a bind because of the European Union and the the way that that is structured. It's not quite a, its own country. You know, it doesn't have its own uh, fiscal policy, um, it, but it's not quite a just a connection a collection of individual countries either they're bound together by some economic uh constraints and a single currency um again like quite a massive bureaucracy too and um, um, yes yeah. yeah so well i don't know we're gonna have to see i, I think china seems best positioned to yeah that's to what i'm well. that's kind of what i'm referring to first and foremost because i yeah. think they they've already Aren't they already posting like uh, some decent like uh, growth numbers right now? Oh yeah, they have uh, been outgrowing the West, you know, the uh, the U.S. and and Western Europe uh, for quite a while now, and you know, to the extent where it's like twice the GDP growth that uh, the U.S. is experiencing or more. Um, you know, some people say, well, we can't exactly be sure because the government there is not exactly transparent. Well, like people, people don't understand how like things like GDP and these numbers are, are studied by like pretty like, inter, like a lot of international organizations. It would be really, I mean, the, the whole, everyone pulls out this, this, this Trump card of like about, excuse the phrase about how you can't trust China, but like, I get I get pretty tired of it because you can really apply that to almost anything. It's just it's just kind of a xenophobic um, catch-all in my mind. And I'm, I'm that's not saying that I I you know there's certainly things you cannot trust what the Chinese government says about. There's certainly uh, elements, but 
GDP? I mean, are there really uh, like, that's not a mirage, right? No, I think they are growing uh, faster than than the US or Europe. Uh, it's just the question of, you know, how accurate their statistics are and, you know, whether you can depend on them um, for, for being truthful, we don't exactly know. But, and also because of the complexity of their system, it's, um, you know, there's still a large percentage of their economy that is um, really run by the government. Um, so, oh, most definitely, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it is different than our system. Uh, and in some ways it seems to be working better. I mean, in terms of producing growth and infrastructure for the, for the country and uh, increasing the standards of uh, living for, for its citizens, it's at least recently been doing um, better than the US. But um, of course you gotta take the good with the bad there, right? That their political system is quite a bit different than ours. Um, yeah, yeah. But one thing you mentioned, Isaac, was you know the complexity of trying to deal with that people have to deal with in in talking about their their personal finances. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to, if I could, just talk a little bit a little bit about that to try to simplify things for people. So because I know it's so Please, difficult. Yeah. You know, these days, uh, you know, wages are not growing. Um, jobs are less secure than they used to be. So for people who want to know, you know, how do I deal with money? How do I um, provide some sort of financial security for myself and stability? Um, I, I think it's important to sort of uh, distinguish between savings and investments. So before people start investing, they should really have a short-term savings fund built up for emergencies, you know, like unexpected things that that come up in in life. Say you you need a root canal or you, uh, you know, you get into a car accident or your car just stops working for some reason. And these are, you know, big ticket items that uh, you might not anticipate in your daily budget. And a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So to the extent that people can, I recommend that they build up a a three to six month uh, emergency fund. You know, if they were to lose their job, that's another thing that that could happen, unfortunately. Um, They would have a cushion to fall back on. You know, they wouldn't immediately be unable to pay their rent or their utilities or their cell phone bill. So- um, I mean, uh, just, just to, to interject really quickly and also yeah. like, uh, like people having personal savings, that's actually part of a strong economy too, in terms of like on a social level, right? I mean, oh. we can come back to the individual level, but I did want to put that in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the US has not been great in that account either. I mean, since, the uh, 70s or 80s, uh, the savings rate has headed down. Um, you know, it fluctuates depending on the specific time, but uh, it's dropped to a low of, I think, about 2% of people's income that they're saving. And that's far, far too low um, for things like 
you know, retirement, of saving for their education or their children's education. Um, you you got to do a lot more than that. And it, it puts people in a very precarious place. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely something I need to think a lot more about because right now, uh, I mean, my retirement plan is, is uh, it's called a UFO. It's, uh, uh, it's when this idea that a UFO is going to show up when I'm like 65 and just somehow take me away in some kind of cocoon type scenario and I won't have to worry <laughs> about it. That's the only, yeah, I'm paying about yeah. 25, 25 a month right now for that. Oh, I didn't realize they had a plan. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay. through um, it's through the the Blink One Eighty Two guy, his uh, whatever his called his Space Federation. Um, we'll see, we'll see if that pays off. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, I guess like 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 a what what percentage of your income would you say? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to talk in percentages though, because everyone's income can be different in a a different percentage. Like like you know, ten percent of fifty thousand a year. Is a lot different than ten percent of like a one twenty five. I mean, but is it though? Like, you're probably one of those people, and I have, I do have, I have a wide variety of friends, and some of them are, in fact, uh, not completely um, irresponsible when it comes to their fiduciary responsibilities and whatnot. Um, and they save really, really religiously. You, you strike me, Jonathan, as one of those guys that saves saves a lot. I do try to do that. Yeah, it's. Um... You know, because you, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I know, um, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, we get more progressive policies in the government and we get, you know, maybe extending Social Security, expanding it, making it more generous. Um, but it, uh, that doesn't look likely right now. Um, so I, I say to people, you know, really, you got to plan for yourself because you don't know what's going to be provided by the government in the future. Um, having said that, you know, social security is absolutely critical to people who retire. I mean, a large percent of people in retirement depend on social security for 90 plus percent of their income. And that's not a very nice standard of living to have it because it just isn't that much money, but, uh, it's a lot better than not having where people would be destitute. Um, so yeah, in terms of saving, I would say, uh, you know, generally it's considered that 10% is the absolute minimum that you should say 10% of your gross income, uh, you should save each year. 10% of gross. Okay. Gross yeah. income. Yeah. So if you're making, you know, $20,000 before taxes, uh, you should be saving at least $2,000 a year. Um, but that again, that's very low. Uh, you know, much safer to save twenty percent. Um, you'll be in a much better uh, position down the line, and it it allows you for your money to grow over time. The longer you have, um, you know, the more risk you can take, and the um, the longer you have for your money to grow and compound which makes a, a tremendous difference. So for, you know, for someone in their 20s or 30s or 40s even, um, I would, oh, I'm personally, and again, I'm not uh, giving anyone personal uh, investment advice here. I'm just doing this for educational purposes. Um, I, I would be 
invested mostly in stocks because they show in the long term the greatest potential for growth and have you know a long history of that going back 150 years um so i would um i would definitely invest in stocks in the in terms of um mutual funds and you know if your employer offers it uh, invest in your 401k plan, or if you work for the state or for um, a nonprofit, they call it a 403b plan. They do it. They do a tax-free savings account, um, like a government-mandated tax-free savings account too in Canada that you could use for oh. retirement purposes. Okay. Are you in Canada? Uh, I mean, right now I am. I, I straddle the line. Yeah. Okay. Vancouver. Yeah. But I, uh, I've lived in the states. I'm a dual citizen. I have a TV, or I have a podcast that's mostly about American politics. So, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, so that's but I true. Think I'm, maybe like 25, 30% of our audience is in Canada. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they have uh, accounts that are similar uh, from what I understand. I, I can only speak to the American system because that's what I know most about. For sure. Uh, yeah. But I, I think they're structured fairly similarly. Um, yeah, but a good rule of thumb is, you know, try to save 20%. If you can save more, save more. Um, you know, it just gives you freedom and it takes a lot of stress away and a lot of worrying about, oh my goodness, what am I going to do, you know, when I'm no longer working? Uh, I'm going to have, uh, you know, a decent retirement, be able to travel and do things that I want to do, not having the clip coupons and, and uh, watch TV all the time, right? So um, I won't be clipping coupons, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be watching TV all the time, regardless of my, <laughs> my economic uh, state. Yeah, I think I think the like psychic benefit for someone like me, I mean, I, I would probably, I know, you know, and again, don't want to give financial advice, but I remember when David Feldman was ranting about um, you know, a uh, Vanguard index fund or, or fuck off or go fuck yourself, I think. And he just kept on saying it over and over again. Um, I should definitely be doing something like that myself. But I find it's it's like, I'm, I'm the type of person who just really doesn't, um, and I, I this is a TED talk that I, I think I brought it up on the pod maybe once or twice before. Um, it was this uh, scientist who was, who was doing, he had done these studies that basically showed that people's ability to save and plan for the future was directly associated with how much they identified with their future self. It was like the people who, you know, you like the, the kind of a simple way of doing it would be, you know, everyone, everyone raise your hands if you think the the that your you in 20 years is the same as you right now or a totally different person, like how much you identify with yourself in 20 years. And all the people who thought, okay, well, I'm still going to be the same person in 20 years, they're the ones that were really good at saving and planning. And the ones that were just like, who, who is this person? I'll figure it, we'll, I'll figure it out in the meantime, which I, which is the category I fall into. We're just terrible at it. Hmm. Um, because really like saving is kind of like, a, it's, 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 you're, you're doing something with your future self or your future life in mind. So it's, uh, you must just have like more of a sense of like, maybe it's just about having a sense that like, you know what, like, uh, <laughs> my life has this, there's like a totality to it. There's a, there's a wholeness to it. And I, I though things might change. I'm still going to be the same person in 30 years, roughly, probably with like yeah. a hip, hip replacement or two, but. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that definitely changes your, your health. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, you got to say to yourself, I mean, statistically speaking, you are going to be around in 50 years, right? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what your age is, but um, uh, certainly 40, 50 years, uh, you, you're going to be around and you're not going to be one of, you know, having to, to work. Uh, you may not be able to work uh, either because, you know, people don't want to hire elderly people or because of your health or you just don't. Want to work anymore i mean work personal hygiene work. issues like there's personal all kinds hygiene. of reasons yeah. yeah who knows um yeah that's yeah. when you put it that way i've never actually really this is probably the first time in my life i've considered that notion that at some point i'll be too old to work because I'm, I'm working right now i've been i've been working pretty steady although like in software you bounce around a little bit mm -hmm. um yeah i, I mean know. software might be a uh bit different because I imagine you can work remotely um, and I work just, very remotely I can I barely pay attention to anyone who talks talks to me they're just like they could they could <laughs> snap their fingers in front of my face and I wouldn't even respond I'm like so remote you have no idea uh, yeah exactly I mean to be honest I think I think remote work um, has it has a lot of potential both good and bad um, if uh, and, and, and a lot of that will come down to how individual companies kind of implement it. Um, yeah, I've actually, I've actually been working remotely for a few years already, so I'm, I'm kind of used to failing at it. You know, I have a lot of experience being bad at it by now. Oh, which is helpful. Okay, um, I, I'd be more positive. <laughs> no, no, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as good as I, as I am in person you know, which is middling, but, you know, middling for like a, like a heterosexual white guy living in North America in 2021 is actually like fantastic. Oh yeah. You're, compared you're, to like most, most standards of history, you know, you're knocking it out of the park. Yeah. yeah. Compared to global history. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I would definitely plan, you know, and, and you know, they, they say invest in yourself first. Right. So yeah, pay yourself first, invest in yeah, yourself pay first. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So just take it right off the top, you know, make it an automatic draft that comes out of your paycheck. Um, you know, 10%, 20%, it doesn't, it's not as big as you might think. Um, and then what's left, you deal with that uh, on, on a monthly basis, but at least you're putting something aside that, that will be there for you and um and you're gonna need it so uh, yeah. i used to do that actually uh years ago i had a system where it was like i put like 10 percent. i had three categories i put 10 percent towards each it was win place and show <laughs> right i'm stealing yeah. i'm stealing i'm stealing gary shandling jokes <laughs> yeah. um playing the pony yeah. yeah playing the ponies uh yeah like uh i don't know like it's weird how kind of averse some people, uh, like I'm definitely including myself in this, can be to like just the most simple kind of intuitive um, things like this. You know, I mean, especially yeah, I mean, especially considering how kind of um, uh, I mean, to be honest, there's not only a lot of uh, instability and kind of economic chaos, uh, but there's also like potentially like opportunity, I think, actually coming out of this, like if you wanted to, I mean, it's maybe a, maybe a kind of a tricky example because it's already hard to, to run a restaurant or a food-based business, but 
you know, there's going to be like half the competition is not going to be there if you if you wanted to start something like if you wanted to do a food delivery service in a couple of years. But I don't know, maybe like Uber Eats will have swallowed up the whole market uh, by that point. That actually brings me actually to another question I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, about uh, monopolies and and like government regulation around competition. Um, because I think I've heard that they've done studies about um, like the number of companies involved in an industry and problems kind of begin starting around when you have like fewer than like five or six or something like that, six or seven companies involved in an industry. Um, but yet we seem to have all kinds of uh, parts of the economy that have far fewer than six, uh, whether it's like a, like a, cell phone providers in the states or media companies like that we've seen like an unprecedented level of kind of uh corporate mergers and whatnot right yes we have uh and it's really been uh the government uh not doing their job of um enforcing the um the antitrust laws uh in this country and that it's a major problem and that, and and the reason why they haven't been doing that is because of the uh, outsized influence that companies have on the government. So they're able to capture the regulatory agencies uh, in the government by making campaign contributions to uh, politicians, by uh, lobbying the government. Uh, they have professional lobbying firms that they hire in order to get their legislation passed and to get uh, loopholes made in the laws that, um, that benefit their industry uh, specifically or even their company specifically. And this has really taken a toll on our economic system because as you said, they're able to amass enormous amounts of uh, power in the markets and they're able to dominate and to um, really drive out competition, which if you're going to have a capitalist uh, economy, you need competition in order to get the benefits of capitalism. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that, that blows my mind. It's just like, look, motherfuckers, I thought, I thought you were all about this capitalism thing. Like you're always going on about it. It's like you meet someone, they're just talking about Enya 24-7, you know, and then Enya comes to town after they talk about it 24-7 for five years straight and they don't even go to the show. It's like, what, what's up, guys? Like, I thought competition was what you liked. <laughs> I mean, I guess, obviously, you can make a lot more money with being a robber baron, so that's probably what it's more about. And then, obviously, like you were saying, they've kind of been... Um, compromised by campaign contributions and kind of the death of a thousand cuts of lobbying and stuff, but. Uh... Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, people who, who praise capitalism always talk about the benefits of competition, but if you talk to capitalists and their individual companies, they don't want competition. They no, want- Competition, um, yeah. Competition they don't want really that at all. Yeah. yeah, who wants to compete? They want to dominate the market that they're in. Right. So they're trying to find ways to knock out the competition so that they can control a larger and larger share of the market. And well, uh, yeah, um, that way they can drive up prices. You know, they they um, it leads to less innovation because why do they why do you have to innovate if you don't have any competitors? Um, you know, and you're not the consumers of your product are not benefiting. Uh, because of that, you know, the price is going up, but the quality of the goods 
or services are not improving. Yeah. Or, you know, the like a power company just lets their infrastructure go to shit because they have a monopoly on being the, the energy supplier in that area. I mean, there's a million examples. Um, and actually, uh, to get to well, one more thing I definitely wanted to ask you, which I find kind of the most terrifying in terms of economic, like fundamentals, kind of like not meaning anything is um, in terms of monopolistic practices, one thing that we've seen uh, to a large extent, which used to be totally illegal, I understand, is, um, you know, say a company like Amazon taking a bunch of investor money and saying, you know what, we're going to lose money for 10, 15 years, but we're going to undercut every other fucker out there. And at the end of the line, we'll, we'll have complete control of things like, you know, people buying books or uh, all manner of stuff online because we lost, you know, we basically, we basically undercut the competition by losing money for years and years and years. But at the end of that, we have this big pot of gold, which is uh, monopolistic control of the market. Now, apparently there used to be regulations against that kind of thing, but now that's like an actual, just straight up business model. Yeah. And I wonder, and I wonder how much, how much like economic, like damage is that kind of thing going to do when it's completely counter to things like, uh, again, things, uh, the spirit of competition or innovation like we're like that's not that that's there's nothing innovative about that that's just that's just pure like economic like bullying you can almost call it like primitive accumulation or something it's like really barbaric almost to me yeah i mean and that is one of the age-old tactics of of a large business right is to go into an area uh i mean this is look at walmart you know their business model or as you said, Amazon, um, if you look at Walmart, they, they go into an area, open up one of their super centers and uh, all the surrounding businesses, small and medium businesses that sell the same types of products that Walmart sells uh, are going to be driven out of business because Walmart can lower their prices uh, to such a degree and hold them there um, because of their um, economics of scale, first of all, but also because they just have a large amount of money to fall back on. An indiv individual store does not have to be profitable for a while, right? They can, they can float that store um, and undersell the competition until the competition goes out of business because they, they, they can't compete with those prices. And then when those businesses go out, Walmart is free to raise them, right? Because then people don't have anywhere else to go to get their prescriptions or their clothes or their whatever it is they're buying. Yeah, and it's so it's so obvious that the the kind of bullying nature of this tactic, you know, it's like the it's like they're doing it's like you're playing a game of basketball. Someone has does an obvious pick, you know, and <laughs> or like there's obvious interference and the referee doesn't blow the whistle. I mean, the regulatory state. In, in, in like, why is the regulatory state or apparatus, you would say in, in America so so weak? Is it just, is it, has it been defunded? Is it, um, is it, is it uh, private financing of elections? You think those are probably the two biggest factors? Those are big ones, yes. Uh, I mean, it really changed in the US uh, and in the UK in the 1980s with the uh, election of Ronald Reagan and uh, in the UK, Margaret Thatcher uh, who had a totally different ideology, right? So um, rather than having a high wage um, 
high growth economy uh, model where everyone is doing well and uh, the government regulates businesses to make sure that they are producing a benefit to society. Uh, the approach of Reagan and Thatcher was to basically allow businesses to do whatever they want to do, saying that, oh, this is gonna create the most innovation and the most jobs and et cetera. Uh, but in reality, what has happened is this concentration of power and wealth that we've seen taking place since the 1980s, especially. And um, the whole model of regulating uh, change, you know, the laws are still there in terms of the uh, Sherman Antitrust Act and, and other laws that uh, would allow us to regulate. But the way that it's been implemented by the Justice Department in the US has been to, all, all, all they look at is price, right? The, the cost of the item to the consumer. They don't look at any other metrics to decide whether or not this is good for the long-term interest of the economy and for uh, society in general. So they don't look at the effect on the workers. They don't look at the effect on uh, yeah. surrounding businesses, et cetera. Well, I mean, they're supposed to be studying economies. You'd think that they would have uh, at least more than one simple metric. I mean, what a what a what a, what an incredibly reductionist uh, thing to rely on. I mean, I I wonder if there's in fact an opportunity. Um, like, I actually have a theory that a lot of people that uh, uh, people who are more centrist or or right wingers would characterize as like a left left populist or. Uh, you know, a, a socialist who's not who's not um, who doesn't understand basic economic principles. In a lot of cases, with with things like this, like regulating competition and antitrust and, and all this, a, a, like a Bernie Sanders probably wouldn't be the most left wing president. He would actually, in terms of economic policy, and he might actually, um, by by instituting some of these regulations, lead to a more long term robust economy. Right, like. Oh, like, I definitely, or, or like someone like a Lula in Brazil by distributing wealth and, and now say nationalizing the uh, oil and gas industry provide and, and you know obviously you know some people uh, that probably like there's a lot of uh, petrochemical companies that were really unhappy about that but but I'm, I'm sure in the long term it's it has just I mean just look at Norway the tremendous economic advantages over decades right Absolutely. I'm wondering if we can actually sell if, if that's a way that these things should actually be sold to say, look, you know, we're in favor of competition. We want, but we want healthy, well-regulated competition, you know, and we need to break up companies that are too big. We need to make sure companies aren't uh, just using these nefarious means to, uh, to undercut the competition and, and create new monopolies. And, and, you know, let's look in the, in 50 years, we'll look back and we'll say, yeah, that's why the economy is strong now. Like that's my gut instinct. And I don't know if you know this as a, a true intellectual, but there's there's more nerve endings in your gut than in your head. So I, that's why I always trust my gut on these matters, Jonathan. Yeah. Yes. Well, they they have been finding that the gut is is much more important to health than uh, originally thought. You know, that it involves uh, and, and impacts uh, the brain, central nervous system, and um, all sorts of things. So that that is true. Um, yeah, I mean, your point about Bernie Sanders, he's really not very radical at all. He's basically a New Deal Democrat, right? The, 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 referring to the New Deal that Franklin 
Roosevelt uh, brought in in order to save capitalism in the 1930s mm -hmm. when it had collapsed. Um, and yeah, Bernie Sanders is very much in, in that mold, I would say. It's nothing outside of what the U.S. Uh, has done in the past. Uh, and it worked. You know, it created the largest middle class uh, in the world for a while there, uh, where people enjoyed a very high standard of living and a degree of economic security uh, that they hadn't known before or since. And since the late 70s, uh, we've been taking that apart in this country and we're, we're dealing with the results of that um, now, you know, with people being quite desperate and, and really uh, a lot of political instability and authoritarianism. I, I think all of this flows from uh, the precarity that people are experiencing in the economy and their, in their everyday lives. Um, do you think that when it comes to, um, I mean, the, the like economic policy really affects everyone. Uh, there's, there's no way around it. Um, and it's something that is really um, in the realm of, of or, or certainly people try and keep it in the realm of the quantifiable. I, I wonder um, if, you know, something like, let's say the peace of mind that comes with uh, saving steadily and having a six month emergency fund, like the peace of mind you get from that is probably invaluable and unquantifiable, right? Um, yes, yes. And, you know, having uh, subsidized, uh, like well-regulated, re well efficiently uh, delivered healthcare and education is going to lead to uh, like a, a general uh, reduction in your overall anxiety level. And that's probably invaluable too. But those things also, in their invaluableness, do actually still come in, in terms of things like reproduction of people's lives and the means of production and um, people being educated and being able to uh, technologically innovate. Um, it all it, it does feed back into the economy in a positive way. So uh, you could say, you know, having that kind of uh, agenda of just basic human decency and, and providing people with uh, their basic needs really should be pitched as a, as like a robust, like economic stimulus agenda, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at countries that do do that and they have much more uh, healthier society because of it. They have better outcomes in terms of education, in terms of uh, mobility, upward mobility within society. You know, if you come from a uh, a poor background, you're more able to, uh, more likely to be able to to rise um, up in the socioeconomic ladder. Um, they they have a longer life expectancy, and just and measures of happiness are better. You know, more fulfillment, less anxiety. Uh, you know, I, well, how many people in this country are on uh, an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication? Um, because of all of this uh, precarity and this uh, instability and not knowing what the future is going to bring and how they're going to deal with it. I'd say minimum two or three, but probably much, much, much more. It could um, be definitely to double that, right? <laughs> it's like tens, <laughs> tens of millions, no question. Um, 
Listen, Jonathan, it's been so so great having you on Night Roll. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This has been great. Um, oh, thank you for inviting. We'll have me. to we'll have to do it again sometime. I know people can uh, people can check out more of your work on the David Feldman Show. I know you appear on there uh, with some frequency. Um, yeah, I any... don't have a big social media presence, so yeah. uh, if they want to hear more, I, I'd recommend going to David Feldman's show, uh, and I contribute on um, his Thursday uh, podcast. Uh, as well as uh, something they do called office hours, which they do on Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah, and I've seen your work on office hours, um, and it's been it's been superlative. So yeah, people can go. They sign up. Uh, David, I think it's DavidFeldmanShow.com. There's an office hours button. They sign up, and then they're pulled into the uh, rabbit hole of the office hours going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 plus the Discord. Um, to be honest. If they want, maybe maybe don't do that because they'll be pulled into the David Feldman black hole and, and they'll never be able to listen to that rule again. I actually need to talk to David about that because I feel as though the David Feldman show, as much as I adore it, might be uh, preventing other podcasts from, uh, from uh, taking root just by nature of the fact that he's providing about... Uh, 500% more uh, hours of content than there are in, a, in like a physical week somehow. Yes. For free. Yeah, it, it can be and it's great. Uh, overwhelming. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say though, as a black hole, it's probably one of the nicer black holes to fall into. They're a really nice bunch. Um, yeah, I actually, I did an office hour segment. I recorded it yesterday and I'll be releasing that as a, as a night rule episode soon. It was, it was a lot of fun. We talked about miseducation and, uh such things um okay well uh i'll uh, i'll let you know when this uh, episode is out and uh and i look forward to uh hopefully chatting again sometime and hope you enjoy the rest of your uh the rest of your brunch uh mid afternoon uh lifestyle in the in the gentil uh land of uh, massachusetts with the other proper culture types that can appreciate the finer things and, and aren't living you know pay paycheck to paycheck with the other dregs like me uh, well, I, I enjoyed talking <laughs> with you very much, and I, I like your show, so I, I hope to uh, talk again. Yeah, man, I'm sure we will. Um, okay, you take care, and uh, and I'll uh, I'll reach out again real soon. Okay, take care. Mm -hmm.